Hi, I'm Paul Camillos. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin for Series 4 of Shooting the Breeze. We cover women's hoops and women in hoops. We talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. During this series we'll be covering the FIBA Women's World Cup where the 12 best teams of the planet are coming to Sydney. And of course, we'll be covering Australia's longest running women's professional sporting league, the WNBL, in its 43rd season. Hit that subscribe button, like and review so we can get more Hoops content to you. I just love this conversation because I just think there's so much more that we can be doing. And it's just, it comes back to, I guess, like how prepared and comfortable each player is. But we can definitely have those awkward conversations. We can definitely support our brand as a league locally. And then we can also go out of our way or, I guess, put ourselves in situations where we can be more visible. Making waves in the last year, Marina Whittle brought home a bronze medal from the inaugural 3x3 competition at the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, as well as an MVP nod in the NBL1 Grand Final for South Champions, Ringwood, and right now is balling for the Adelaide Lightning in some amazing performances by the team. Equally impressive is her passion for the game, love for and awareness of the importance of the fans and her call to players to help lift the profile of the game where every player can make a difference. Singing from the same song sheet, Marina shares our hope to tap into those compelling stories for women in hoops. She's an ambassador for the Queer Sporting Alliance, as well as studying to help advocate for those in aged care, doing the hard yards to bring lasting impact for the people and fans through meaningful connections. We're so grateful for Marina in sharing both her own story and her passion for the agency we all hold to advance women's hoops. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me and my co-host Jacinta Gavind from Adelaide, we have Marina Whittle. Marina, welcome to the show. Hey, y'all. Happy to be here. <laughs> Everyone says that. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to have you here. We've been looking forward to a little bit because, you know, you're going to have some interesting stories to tell. You've been around in the league for a while. You've been at a few different teams. So you're going to have some really interesting perspectives on things generally. What's it like being in the WNBL and bouncing around all those different clubs? <laughs> okay, well, what an intro. Yeah, I have been around for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I guess, the benefit of being with different teams and experiencing different um, organisations is I've, I've seen a, a few different sides of, um, I guess, resourced clubs, very well-resourced clubs and clubs that haven't necessarily had the same resources and stuff. So from the back end, it's been interesting, um, but from the front end as well, seeing different types of fans and the support for women's basketball and every community that I've been in has been so present and wanting as well. So, yeah, it's been amazing being able to play in so many different states, but the experience has been just quite consistently positive. Three years in Adelaide, yeah, and it's been kind of up and down over the last three years. 
But this year particularly, it's interesting because you've got uh, Nat Hurst as your coach. Mm -hmm. And it got off to a, a rocky start, but you guys seem to have really come together and you really just seem to be playing well and you seem to be having fun while you're playing. Is yeah, that absolutely. It's been up and down. Like Obviously, we had the hub season only two years ago and that team itself was skilled and we had the capacity, but, you know, the hub, anything could have happened. And unfortunately, Adelaide, we went into quarantine in, after a few games, so that threw a massive spanner in the works. Same thing with last year. It was a very talented team. We went into the postseason and just didn't work out for us. And I'm really happy that we lost to Melbourne Boomers because they went on to win the championship. So that's a positive. And this year it is a very similar thing. Like everyone's extremely capable. Nat's a great head coach because she's been a player herself. So she understands us as players and where we're trying to go and she knows how to communicate things to us differently. And I guess at the end of the day she just understands what we're I guess she's been in our shoes before, so she understands it from a different perspective. So it's good that we started winning. I hope it continues. But, yeah, it was a rocky start there. Good teams. There's great teams in the league this year. And it sounds like, because we talked to Nat uh, not too long ago, actually, and she gave us a couple of insights into, I guess, the not so much the game plan but a lot of the what the foundation is going to be for the Adelaide Lightning this season, including a lot of fast-paced basketball and a lot of freedom mm. uh, in on the offensive end as well, kind of bringing back a lot more of that read and react style of game. Um, how do you feel like that suits you as a player? Well, like Paul mentioned before, it's fun and we look like we're having fun. And for me, that is right up my alley. We are a run-and-gun team. To get the ball off the backboard and run, start offensive early. Anyone can start the offences. And like I said before, Nat's been in our shoes before, so she knows the style of play that works and ones that work, I guess, for this group especially. So for me, it really works for me. I'm a tall, I'm a strong guard and I'm a short but strong big. So I'm kind of able to kind of move around and swing between the three and four and sometimes two. So I'm really looking forward to this year. Yeah, I'm super excited for your season as well. Like we mentioned, bit of a rocky start, but yeah. some of the pieces that have been starting to be put together really nicely and consistently so far, and we've only had, we're only just about to start round five as we're recording. Yeah. Um, it's got me really, really excited for your team for the rest of the season. And I'm glad you mentioned that you're, you know, a strong guard and a, a strong small kind of forward. Because something I've noticed you've put into your game is being able to confidently post up other guards. Is that something in the last, say, 12, 18 months that you've intentionally tried to improve? Yeah, I think perhaps it could come from the 3x3 field as well and being able to you know, have more opportunities in that space. But definitely my inside game is something that I'm much more comfortable with and my strength inside is something that I'm quite proud of. So yeah, no, it's definitely something that I've worked on and different reads and having the patience in there as well and being confident to post up, I guess, little guards. It's helpful. And because to complement that part of your skill set, I've noticed you've also become a lot more confident with finishing under the basket and also your rebounding game. Like we'll get into NBL1 season a little bit later, but you were posting some big numbers in NBL1 on re the rebounding stats and that has transferred into WNBL. So I guess if we've got any fans or perhaps any aspiring female 
um, athletes listening, how do you go about targeting those particular skills to improve when you're doing your individual training? Uh, well, I guess for anyone aspiring to play in the elite level or just to play basketball, I guess, and have fun at it, it's really important to, I guess, not never feel comfortable, but to find out where your weaknesses are and try and improve in those fields. So this year, it's definitely finishing has been a very big key for me during my off-season workouts and even during my current season workouts. There's still some things that I want to fix up. But yeah, it's just finding the right coach and just getting and putting in the practice as well. So even if it's just like little finishes before indies and stuff. But yeah, my personal game as far as being more comfortable inside and making better decisions inside and um, with all that pressure, I really attribute that to my off-season work and 3x3 and NBL1 with Ringwood Hawks and, and I'm really happy that Natty's recognised that as well. Talking about 3x3, fill us in a little bit about the Com Games, Birmingham. Mm. Um, it's one of those parts of the of basketball that's really starting to pick up. It's getting a lot of attention. How did you find the transition from the regular game to 3x3, the extra freedom that you get, and also performing mm. at the Com Games? Mm. It was Com Games was absolutely amazing. There's nothing, there's nothing else like it, and I'm so happy that we came away with a medal. It was amazing, best. Uh, I actually got involved with 3x3 about four years ago when we started doing pro hustles, uh, 3x3 pro hustle with the NBL over in Melbourne. And it was my first time ever trying it. And the, I guess the freedom of the court and only having three people on the court and the physicality and the pace of it, you don't really get to stop and you don't really get to, you know, really react to anything bad that happens because you just don't have the time and you don't really have the capacity to stop and think and be like, oh, my God, I'm missing shots or whatever. It's really just the person who lasts the longest and goes the hardest. So, yeah, 3 x is an amazing, but I really push everyone to go into 3 x especially juniors and even seniors. I think anyone can play 3 x It's just a more compact style of 5-on-5 five five with more space on the court. As far as Birmingham goes, it was amazing. It was awesome. The ability to, I guess, when we played against England, to get into the gold medal match is something that just sticks out in my brain. It's burned into my memory, unfortunately, because we lost. It was an embarrassing loss. We lost by a few points. But being in that environment where everyone in the stadium hated us, the other team hated us, and taking that, and when we played against New Zealand, they got three points away from us, four points away from us, five, six, and then we only had a few minutes left and we had to just turn on the jets and get going. And, yeah, I think it just kind of it hit home and we had a huddle and you only get two timeouts each and about three minutes left. We were down by six. Ali, Loz, Loz and myself looked at each other and were like, we're going home with the medal. There's no other option. So we pulled it together and we're like, we're doing this for us. Like, we have to do this. And, yeah, when we went out, we just our, – our brains kind of all connected on the same wavelength at that time and we just fought and then we ended up winning by quite a lot of points. So, yeah, I guess playing at the Commonwealth Games and playing in such a pressurised environment was just – there's nothing really like it and representing my country on that stage is probably the greatest achievement of life. And if I can replicate it and do it again, I'd be so privileged and honoured to be able to do that. Yeah, Commonwealth Games in Birmingham is oh, the best. <laughs> One of the things that I'm curious about is, have you noticed that your 
3x3 experience has changed or adjusted your style of play in the regular game? Absolutely. Oh, my God, absolutely. Yeah, I think because 3x3 is just naturally so physical and it's naturally so much faster and you have to be able to make strong decisions and be able to handle the rock and be able to shoot it and everything feels quite pressurised that when you step onto a five-on-five court and because you're a lot fitter because you've just been running straight and sprinting and playing defence and you don't have any time to stop for 10 minutes straight, so that when you go and play five and five, it's just kind of a transfer. So all of those skills, that decision-making skill, the confidence, the drive, the strength, the defense, just naturally progresses and transfers into the five and five. So for me personally, what that means is my inside game is stronger, my drives to the rack are stronger, and you've seen it with Beck Cole for years. You know how to drive in, take contact, and still make the hit because fouls just aren't called as easily in 3x3 as they are in 5x5. Five five. So you're just more focused on making the shot rather than getting hit and getting caught. Yeah, it sounds like a really a lot more of an intense uh, and condensed version of the regular game that, as you said, you know, to encourage young people to have a try because it's going to be a really good litmus test, I think, of how well they can make decisions, really refining their read and react skills as well. But uh, decision-making is one thing that 3x3 can bring. But I also noticed that you have to be able to create a lot better when you're on 3x3 because you have the two less people to rely on. Sometimes in five by f- like five on five, you can just take a bit of a back seat. Sometimes I just used to hide in the corner of the deep three. Like, hey, you, guys, you guys have a turn. I'll just wait yeah. here. Take but it. You take it. You know, you, you guys have a turn. I'll, I'm just going to sit this one out. Mm-hmm. But uh, 3x3, you can't really afford to do that. So, yeah, being able to create is um, something that I think uh, a lot of people perhaps should go and try, you know, get out of 3x3 and then bring back to the other rest of their game. Yeah, I think it's a the awesome thing about 3x3 and why it's so, I think, important for people to at least have a go in is because it puts you in a situation that you might not be consistently put in in the five and five realm. So, like, you're consistently put in a situation where you have to make decisions or you have to create or you have to take it inside. And it's almost like if you're not prepared to, I guess, go to score or want to score or want to create, you're almost a liability for the team because it means that that your defence doesn't really need to play defence, you know. You're not a threat on the court. So I find it... Really important, and this is why I push a lot of the juniors that I train with to at least go have a go, is because it puts you in positions to offensively be aggressive and defensively stop that you wouldn't really get that opportunity to in a game of five on five consistently. Yeah, I guess on the flip side, it's the same. You don't have anywhere to hide when you're having to guard the ball more times than not in yeah. three x three than compared to five on five. Hmm. Where, yeah, again, there are situations where you can afford to hide or you're the second line of defense in the rotation and it might not even get to you where you have to rotate. But 3x3, like everyone has to be super responsible. Oh, yeah, and it's condensed as well. So it's only to 21 points. And another good thing about 3x3 is that you have to be able to communicate. So the relationship within the team is a different dynamic because, again, there's, there's only four of you, sometimes three. And everyone has different perspectives and it's coached in a way that you're the coaches out there. So you're kind of given that responsibility to be able to communicate properly and 
uh, I guess, lead your team and like take care of your teammates and all that good stuff. And also be quite direct without being obviously like confrontational. So because it's condensed and you've only going to 21 points, it's very obvious when people aren't, I guess, performing. And, you know, naturally as basketballers who want to compete, I feel like we wouldn't want to have someone score on us time and time again. So it's kind of like you are put in a situation where you have to perform. And obviously being athletes and being competitors, you want to win. So, again, it's one of those things how you can't really hide and you can't really kind of just take a step off because hopefully you're in a situation and I haven't experienced a situation where you're not supported in 3x3 where your teammates are just like, no, you got it. Like, take care of it, lock it down or go to school, like whatever. Just, you got to do it. I don't know. Sometimes it works. I haven't really found a situation where it doesn't seem to work, but I really like it for that. You can't really hide. It seems to me like it's the intensity level in 3x3 really pushes your team into relationships. Like you were saying, you've got to be direct without being too direct, but it's short, it's sharp, so you don't have that time to kind of, I don't know, maybe the best way of putting it is you don't have the time to tap dance around things. you just <laughs> got to get in there and get it done. Mm. Um, how do you find different players react to that approach? I've been really fortunate. So 3x3, you build a lot of chemistry with your teammates, I guess, because there's a very real reality, especially at the Australian level, that you're probably going to bleed for your teammates. Like you're probably going to put yourself in harm's way to try and win. And not harm's way as in like there's no trains on the road or trains on the court that are going to run us over. But you're realistically like sacrificing yourself because you are just you're 10 minutes draining everything, right? And it's so physical. So I've been very lucky where the chemistry of the team has been very positive and very supportive and we've been able to train and talk to each other in a way where Everyone understands that the message is for us to win, but also you're not you're not allowed to like yell at your teammates. You you have to deliver it in a way that that people can hear the feedback. You know, it's kind of when you speak about people being able to hear it and how different people like react to it. I think it's a two way. It's definitely got to do with the delivery and also you know where that player might be coming from. So you want uh, where the player might be hearing it from. So maybe they have like some biases and stuff. But, yeah, it's definitely got to do with, I think, the delivery and perhaps, and this is just a big perhaps, but perhaps the players hearing um, the message, like maybe they just haven't gotten the ball rolling, maybe they just haven't, like, figured out their rhythm yet. So, yeah, that's something we need to be very aware of when it comes to, like, sharing our message or sharing our feedback or, hey, you got to get it done, or, hey, you were supposed to be on split. Got to be able to share that properly and appropriately and stuff, but also... Like, if they're not hearing me, like, hopefully it doesn't affect the game where we lose, but we have to check in with our teammate, like, afterwards. And we have such good chemistry, the team that went to Birmingham, the team that went to Singapore, because we built that chemistry up through training sessions and, like, before the game. and We spent time with each other and all that good stuff. But, yeah, sometimes if people can't take the message or people can't deliver the message properly, that's that's a big problem, I reckon. The the other thing just want to touch on about three x three before we kind of move on to some other stuff is Singapore. Mm. Okay, now I I got to ask this because I was watching some of those games, and it was kind of outdoors. Now Singapore is, and let's be honest, not the most friendly outdoor environment to play basketball. 
Uh-huh. Let alone play three x three. Yep. Oh. <laughs> what was what was that like? It was hot. Oh my god, it was hot. <laughs> and we were right in front of um. Oh, I don't know the what's the name of it. It's got the big boat. It's in um a movie. It's this massive building oh, that's got yeah the Mar- boat Marina top. yeah Marina Bay. Yep, that's me. Yeah. And um, <laughs> we were right in front of it and there was every day at a certain time, I think it was like five or six o'clock when games were playing, the sun went was right behind oh. the backboard. So it hit everyone. It was, oh, yeah, it was oh. we were allowed to bring in multiple like drink bottles and our physio actually worked away to get ice wrapped in a towel, taped up so that we could like put it on ourselves waiting for a timeout. Because people... We're dehydrated. It was not okay. It was so hot. Oh, my God. It sounds like you're trying to smuggle in bottles of Smirnoff into a music festival. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was definitely like a smuggling. But it was legal, everyone. It was okay. Sorry, Fever. Yeah, it yeah. was fine. I actually, <laughs> I actually blacked that out of my memory. Oh, my God. It was so hot in Singapore. <laughs> no, I, mean, I remember I was watching the games and I was thinking, Watching people come off at the end of the game, I was thinking, man, how can you keep up that that level of performance mm. in Singapore? Because, you know, you walk out of any building in Singapore, it's just like hitting a brick wall of humidity, Forget, let alone the heat. Oh, my God. It's not a slap. It's a punch in the face of heat <laughs> and humidity. It's hot. Oh. And that's why I was so lucky that we had, like, Anneli on the team because, you know, when Lozzie was tired, when, Lozzie, when the other Lozzie was tired, when I was gassed, like, I don't know how she finds it, but she just kept on going. I was like, go, babe. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> God bless. Okay, so let's just get away from the game from a little bit and let's talk about how you got into basketball. Mm, well, would you believe that Jenny Whittle is not related to me? Uh, at least I don't know. I don't think that we're actually related. <laughs> Jenny, if you're listening, I've never met her in person. I would love to meet you in person and maybe we'll, we'll go through, like, my heritage or something. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a whole other cool podcast episode, like docu-series in itself. Are Marina and Jenny related? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's find the line. I saw now that Kayla George has just um, gotten to the, I think, second or third on the scoring ladder, Jenny yeah. Whittle's name came up and I was like, oh, hey, cuz. Yeah, the other, yeah, because, yeah. Not related. No, so mum is a netball coach, dad was a footy and basketball coach, and my I have three other siblings who are all older than me and they were playing, you know, basketball, netball and football. And I was playing primarily netball when I was younger. And then none of what inspectors was right around the corner from me, so I would go and play domestic basketball there. And I think when I was bottom age, bottom age under 12s, I actually got involved with Spectres. After so long, because all I knew at this point about rep basketball was that you just had to wake up super early on a Sunday morning and go to training. <laughs> I was like, I think, Marina, I think you'd be really good at this. And I'm like, I don't know if I can wake up that early on a Sunday, but I'll give it a go maybe in a few years. Yeah, I joined when I was, I think it was like nine, eight or nine years old and haven't looked back since, so... Shout out to Nunawadding, got me across the line when I was really young. But my family was primarily a netball family. And even when we talk now, like mum is still coaching junior netball teams and dad's still involved with basketball in the country. But yeah, mum's primarily a netball. We're a netball family, kind of. 
So I'm the first, and I like to say that I'm a um, the golden the golden child. <laughs> yeah, or at least I did when I was younger. Now that we're a bit older, like you can't say that as much. It sounds like a bit silly, but. Yeah, when I was younger, I was definitely that. And we had a basketball hoop at the front of the house and I would just take on my older siblings on one-on-one and I'd also be out there all the time. Yeah, lots of bragging happened. (laughs) It's so funny though, so many um, players you meet who grew up with siblings that either played sport, especially those who followed basketball as well. Mm. It all started with backyard bas- backyard basketball was like the the melting pot of yeah. being physical with other, each other and trash talking and having to try stuff and getting blocked, but then being friends again when it was dinner time. Like there's something to be said about backyard basketball. There's something, right? And then it's just like the coming together of the nation as well. It was in backyard basketball. For me, it was the court. So I had the basketball in the court and like it was like all of my neighbours would come and play, pick up, and then when hard rubbish would come, someone would mistake it for rubbish. And I'm like, so we had to replace it a few times. But coming together of the nation. <laughs> Given that, you know, you started off in, in netball and you moved to basketball, what was it about basketball that you enjoyed more? Well, I think um, I played with boys up until – I played mixed basketball up until I had to be – until we had to jump – like separate. So I think that's under 14s when the boys got up to a size seven, under 16s. And for me, it was that competitiveness with, well, with the boys as well. Like I was a bit taller than girls my age. I was a bit stronger. I was a bit, I was just built a bit differently. Um, so, but I loved driving in. I loved being physical. I loved like the physicality of basketball. And I just really thrived being able to run like consistently up and down. I had, I was like a can of beans when I was younger. Yeah, but I think that's where netball kind of lost me because you're kind of stuck in your own. It's just such a stop-start game, and I loved the freedom of basketball and, like, the competitiveness against the boys and then when we separated, just going into 16s and then continuing that. And then I found out about college, and I just love the freedom of basketball. I love just being able to ball out and also dribble. Couldn't do that in netball. No. (laughs) (laughs) And, um... Like you said, you're still a, a netball family, but uh, growing up myself, uh, sometimes there's that natural tension between netballers and basketballers, almost like natural enemies in a sense. So does your mum still have good bragging rights going into her netball community saying, you know, my daughter is a Commonwealth Games medalist in basketball? Like does that still hold some weight in the netball community? Uh, I think so. It's actually so funny that you mention it because – it's so funny how often, like, I'll get called for a traveling thing, or like, even during NBL one, like, something will happen, like, I'll pivot improperly. One of my teammates might travel, and Mum will be just like, "Oh, you know, give me twenty minutes with her, and I'll put her through a netball drill, and I'll get her feet work right, or I'll get her hands right." I'm like, "Oh, you gotta stop this. It's not." <laughs> so, yeah, bragging rights. She loves loves to claim netball, but I think Com Games is like still a pretty good bragging right as well. Oh, for sure. And you said, you know, you're the golden child, uh, but you're definitely the rose gold child. That's certified fact now. <laughs> oh, rose gold is the nation's colour in basketball. <laughs> so we just wanted to stay on brand. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I think it suits us well at the moment. When we're re- We'll be ready to uh, go for gold uh, in another four years, I reckon. Yeah, it's, yep. this was a good starting spot for the very first time for 3x3 and Amazing that the girls did it at the World Cup as well. Like this is this is good. 
And then there's still two more that we can get, so that's okay. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I want to talk about one thing in relation to the WNBL. Yeah. And that's about this season we've seen bigger crowds. We've seen, I think there's been a lot more visibility on the game, which is great, and it, it really deserves it. But I'm curious to find out from you as a player, what do you think should be done to raise the profile of the game even further? Yeah, I love this. I love this conversation because, you know, the WNBL, we've talked about it for so long. Like it, it is the longest running women's professional sport in Australia. It's been around for 43, 44 years. And I still don't feel that we get the acknowledgement that we deserve because year in, year out, we put incredible product on the floor and people just aren't really aware of that. Um, so I love to talk about this and I've talked about this extensively with my um, teammates and friends and family. I think the issue is not that, you know, we definitely have the visibility. Like this year's TV deal and this year's um, like marketing deal is really amazing and it's hard when every year us as players are really concerned about, you know, how much visibility we'll get. Why aren't we on TV? Why aren't we – why can't people watch our games? And there's a lot of – yeah, concern, but then there's also just like a lot of confusion. And I think one of the biggest things about women's sports and women's basketball is that it's our fans are a lot different in my my opinion. Our fans are a lot different than like men's sports and men's basketball in that we, I feel, create very strong relationships within our community. And I feel like as players we know that we deserve more, you know, marketing, more visibility, and we've had the biggest crowds and all these good things. But we as players, I think we could be more proactive and getting on the front foot and putting ourselves in positions to be visible and to be marketable. And it's unfortunate, you know, because not everyone's massive on social media, but we could definitely be taking more steps as players to put ourselves in positions where we can get to know the community, we can get to know, you know, other teams, we could be going to schools, we could be going and, you know, doing things like this, like just making it known that we are prepared and willing to put ourselves forward to maybe push the league forward, to maybe push the marketability of the league, push the visibility forward so that, you know, maybe not this year but next year or the year after we can start seeing dividends and then we can start benefiting from it. But, you know, like you said, Women's World Cup recently in Sydney just had the most fans ever to date and I feel like we're right on the precipice where we as players really need to start taking accountability and start being more proactive for the people that we're coming into contact with and we can be doing a lot more to be pushing women's basketball in Australia. It's a massive relief to hear you say that as a current player, as a player who's played Mm -hmm. at all different levels because when we were at the World Cup we were lucky enough to do our 100th podcast episode with Mm -hmm. Megan Hussweit at the World Cup Mm -hmm. and this actually came up and To be fair, it's probably easy from Megan's standpoint and from my standpoint. Neither of us are players, but we very much uh, follow the league very closely. And the one thing we both mentioned was how we feel like there is opportunity for players to take more responsibility for making their sport and their performance and, you know, the good product that the WNBL is more well known. So it is Mm. very reassuring to hear that you feel the same way being a player. Mm. Um, And apart from community engagement as well, I feel like that's definitely on the, like getting better and the fan engagement, especially now we're going back to pre-COVID times. 
Mm. But something I find really interesting is that when the Com games were on and the Opals were in camp, uh, I was really hoping that there would be a lot more recognition on socials or something where there was some kind of cross-program promotion mm. between the two when the two were happening at the same time. I noticed there were a couple, but I thought there would be more. I don't know what that was like from your standpoint. I don't want to put you in a position where you're going to feel like you're throwing shade on anyone or anything either. Yeah. No, not at all. Like about the World Cup, just quickly, that was so cool, wasn't it? Like it, just being there and being yep. in an environment like that, it was amazing. Like imagine if we could get that to women's basketball games or any basketball games in Australia consistent. Oh, just amazing. Everyone wanted to talk basketball. It was so cool. When it comes to like the Opals and the 3x3, I think there is still room for a bridge to be made there where it's not as separate. And I think it's possible. And definite strides have been taken in that relationship between the two sports. And it was so awesome to have the Opals send us the messages um, when we were going into that game against England. And I think even to start the tournament um, at Com Games, the girls sent us all messages and just wishing us best of luck. And that was just so cool because for quite some time, the 3x3 felt like a completely separate sport and a separate part of Australian basketball. So this year's just been awesome and we felt very um, I guess bonded with the girls, which is really cool. I think there is still a lot of space that we can go with that. And, you know, before COVID, we had like consistent national camps and stuff. And obviously it was hard this last few years. But I think that relationship is getting bigger and better. And just the more that the sport grows as well with 3x3, I think that will start to happen. But even just like the visibility of, you know, the Opals and 3x3 happening at the same time. I think that's something that we can grow. But, again, it comes back to how much the players are prepared to talk about it, how much the players are prepared to share about it, like all of that good stuff. So credit to everyone, all of the girls that were involved in that. So let me ask you, and I don't want you to feel like I'm putting you on the spot, but if you could say to everybody who plays in the WNBL, what are the two key things that you think would help to raise the profile? That's really hard because it takes into account, like there's two things. There's like the national image of women's basketball and then there's the state's image of national basketball. And so like, for example, like there's Perth in WA, which are completely separate to like one of the Melbourne teams who are in a Melbourne uh, sporting capital of Australia. So I think if every player could and I don't want to say this, like, I think that we could be doing more within our own, like, lives to make people more aware of women's basketball and when we're playing. And that could be as simple as going down to, like, the coffee shop and talking to them about women's basketball and having those awkward conversations that people might not know about. But it's like people aren't going to know if we don't start talking about it. And But I understand we are professional athletes at the end of the day. We are at the highest level in Australia. We are elite. But there are people in Australia who just don't know that we're playing sometimes. So it's just having that, I guess, having that, like, humbleness to be able to, like, have those conversations and be like, hey, did you know that we actually play basketball and we're actually playing against, like, Townsville who are coming down from Queensland and we're on national TV or we're on Nine Now and KO, so please tune in. So it's like I think that if everyone could do that within their every regular day, like even during their coffee or something, that could take us to that next step. And then it's – so that was one. 
Sorry, this is extremely long-winded. I love to chat, love to talk. We love long-winded. We're yep. all about long-winded. You go for it. Yep. Okay. I yeah. Blink if you guys feel like I'm holding you hostage. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. This like Mr. Bean eyes in church. Holding <laughs> Honestly, I'm so sorry. I just love this conversation because I just think there's so much more that we can be doing. And it's just, it comes back to, I guess, like how prepared and comfortable each player is. But we can definitely have those awkward conversations. We can definitely support our brand as a league locally. And then we can also go out of our way or, I guess, put ourselves in situations where we can be more visible. So that's, you know, on social media, just posting things. Unfortunately, in women's sports, there's that tall poppy syndrome where you don't want to be posting stuff and, like, you don't want to be showing off a little bit, but do it. Like, there's some girls in the league, there's the league that's earned the right to at least talk about themselves a little bit. Yeah, and it's not in a way where it's like, look how good I am. Mm. Also, you are really good, so you should be able to celebrate it without being ridiculed for celebrating it. But it's also kind of like inviting people, this is what I'm a part of, this is what I'm proud of, I would love for you to come and mm. enjoy it as much as I do mm. um, and be a part of the experience. It's, I, that's how I read it anyway, but I might be a bit biased. Yeah, and, and even just I love getting involved with junior programs and getting involved with schools and stuff so it's I think it would be really cool to see more teams and I know that Bendigo do a really good job of this and I know that Perth do a pretty good job of this as well and there's probably other teams that I don't know about that do it really well but I would love to see more teams and players like making genuine connections with schools and like juniors I think it would be really cool to see them make that connection because then the kids are coming to the game the kids are talking about the girls that they met at, uh, the girls that put them through a really cool basketball clinic at school, talking about that with their friends. And then I've seen some dads bring their boys to some of the games. Like I think there's still so much room for us to improve. Yeah, that's a good point with the dads and the boys bringing them to women's games too because I noticed that uh, Abby from Herway posted something about her and a female uh, football athlete and mm-hmm. how a young, a young boy came up to the athlete of the supermarket saying, oh, I want to be like you when I'm older. Mm. But we love female representation and how important it is, but I think there's definitely a part of it's equally as important that young boys see uh, have a lot of strong female role models as well so they can grow up outside of that norm of, like, females being mm. inferior and females being second-rate and, having that a bit more normalisation around that women can be leaders too without being, you know, ambitious or <laughs> all the words that mean too loud, how too, loud too much and too masculine and all this kind of nonsense like that. So yeah. it's great that, that dads are bringing their sons too. Yeah, and like what was really cool to see was during the NBL1 season with Ringwood Hawks, I had a lot of dads with their sons come to the games and talk to us after the games because, you know, Women's basketball is very fun to watch and when it's played well, it's a really good quality basketball. So I think it teaches, like, besides teaching enjoyment of the game, I think it's a really good basketball skill to watch. Like, if you can come and watch and watch women being successful and being cool role models and then being a bit silly and then being a bit loud and passionate, it can, like, do wonders to change the old stereotypes. Mm, For sure. Now, I'm going to get a little bit controversial here. On this topic, I see a lot of WNBL players promoting the NBL. Oh, you know, the NBL game's on or this team's playing on it. 
but I don't necessarily see them put out as many posts on social media about their upcoming game. Mm, Why is that? Why? That's a great point. Um, Yeah, just spitballing. Yep. Could it be an option or like a reality that we know that men's basketball is covered so well that perhaps talking about that would maybe like be the easier avenue and the easier way to reach people than talking about women's basketball. That could be a reality. But, you know, that's not to say that that's a good answer. That was random. But it is a problem that we're not promoting ourselves as heavily as we are promoting the boys. And it's like a bit problematic as well. There is so much to promote. And it, like, even if you think about the players of the week, right, or even if you think about the team of the week, the only people that were promoting that and posting that, and if we have highlights, posting highlights, are the people themselves or the teammates of those players and only a few then. Like we had more highlights to post from social media. I'm sure everyone would be plugging away at them. And I know that we have like the top five moments of the week or something. Um, and that's really cool for Nine Now and it's a really cool graphic and stuff. But if we had access to that as players on our own feeds, perhaps I haven't even looked, but I think we would be pushing that out. If we had constant, or if we had more consistent content to be pushing out, what's to stop us? I think one of the hard things, one of the easier things about NBL games is that they're just really well covered and they've got the resources to cover that really extensively and put a lot of a lot into it which unfortunately we just don't have yeah and like now when you put it that way it kind of makes me think about how you know on socials we've been able to find different like photographers and stuff that that follow a particular team and now they're hired as part of the wider team so you know you've got obviously your players your med team your coaches but then there's like the social media person, there's the photographer, there's the videographer, and that's all part of the whole package. Whereas I find with the WNBL, we're always relying on people who are doing it for the love of them because they're fans. So you have people like Picks by Trey that we found, and he just goes to different venues and mm. tournaments and does his thing, and our other friend James O'Donoghue who does it for the love of it. And mm. we're always relying on these like alternative kind of media outlets or photographers to boost the game like that so I wonder what it's going to take before the WNBL kind of broadens their horizon and packages that whole team and and content Mm. and then go as far as delivering it to players like us as commentators we used to get information and stuff going into a game it sounds like it's a good opportunity to then package up some content and every week saying hey players here's some official content do what you will with it oh my god yeah I think I Personally, my experience with game day photographers is I've actually had to go look, search on Instagram, find out who was there, find random photos, if any. And so what it would look like is going to like, let's say Perth Links have someone really awesome, we have someone really great, but going to like the Perth Links Instagram and then seeing who's tagged in their photos, like see the photos they posted, tagged photos, have to go and find that photographer, DM them and ask them for photos. But imagine if his name or her name was sent to the team and the team could like flow it out and be like, hey, this is how to get photos or here's the album or something like that. And when we've done that and we've just had, we've started doing that here in Adelaide, when we've done that, everyone posts and everyone's pushing out content. 
it's like when we see those cool like little videos or cool reels. I had someone make a really cool one for my um when it's our side actually our opening game, but we have to reach out and do that stuff, or they have to reach out to us. It's not a package that's like here are the people, this is the content. Do with that what you will. Absolutely. Okay, so I know that the WNBL have got photographers. They've they've contracted a, a company to take photos at mm. every game. So you guys don't get access to those photos? And I don't mean like you having to go and hunt it down. Mm. I mean, so, to me, it, it seems like if they've got photographers at every game, they're shooting those photos, they're putting them up and, you know, they're available, why is it that they're not handing over to the players? It's like, here's a whole batch of photos. Mm. That's not happening as far as you know? As far as I know, here in Adelaide we have a really good situation with our local photographer who comes and takes photos with the games. Um, And we've got a great relationship with her, Emma Hopper, and so we she'll send me the link and then I'll send the link to the girls. So that's like our relationship. But as far as the league is aware, I am not currently aware of anything, but I also haven't seen or asked. So it could be on me as a player. But, yeah, I'm not too sure about when it comes to the entire league. Okay. And, okay, again, this is my opinion. It shouldn't be on you as a player. Mm. It yeah, should I mean, be. you wonder what the boys are doing, right? Or you wonder what, like, the AFLW chicks are doing or, yeah. like, yeah, you just wonder what their experience is and you would compare whether like, it would be so hard to promote yourself, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's part of the problem, right? Like it's really easy for me to sit here and like point fingers, but unfortunately like the league where we are, like we know that we're under resource. We know that we don't have, I guess, we just don't have that like availability to like to be provided that content like people who are running WNBL and BA just they're doing the most that they can so it's easy to sit and point fingers but also like we need to be accountable that for this year at least like for me to go out and reach out to photographers isn't that hard especially if I know who they are and Picks by Trey is a great guy he's really cool photos and he does this great thing where he puts like reels together and gifts together there's also Laurie Jean there's great photographers around so it's not that hard for us to do and it's okay for us to have to do that um you would just hope that perhaps down the line it could be just like a like a package given out to us yeah i don't think so much like in this conversation we're pointing fingers but i think we've highlighted a bit of a gap Mm. almost like a gap in the service of where we can kind of bridge a little bit more consistency between administration and players and be able to deliver like a a bigger package, a more consistent package and um, another thing for the players to easily access. Like you guys are, like you said before we started recording, you're training most days. Mm. Um, it's literally your full-time job. Sitting at home when you have your downtime and your recovery, you don't really want to be going down the Instagram rabbit hole to try and find content to share to promote the league. It just sounds like there's a gap that could be filled that could be made that easier for everyone and especially because you've got people like, Laurie Jean, who are doing great photos, who probably need a bit more recognition for their work as well. So I just see a lot of a lot of benefits here of um, trying to bridge in that gap. I think. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like there is definitely a few gaps that could be filled quite easily. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's just take a step back for a minute because we talked about the NBL one season, and you had a pretty spectacular NBL one season. Yeah. How did you find that, you know? The season itself was really 
awesome. I loved it. I loved my experience this last off season. I think Ringwood Hawks have a really great community. It's a community club, so we saw the same faces every week. We got involved with the junior teams. We had parents coming up to us, kids coming up to us after games. It was really cool. And then the coverage that we had as well was awesome. But just NBA one itself, basketball was great. Yeah, you, your team was awesome to watch. Like I was very lucky I got to commentate your first game at Nationals on the Friday night against Aubrey Wodonga Bandits. Mm-hmm. And even though I was there representing MBO One East and commentating for the Bandits, oh man, that game! You guys had had yourselves a game. It was so good to watch. Oh, um, to be so- honest, I'd actually never had heard of Ringwood until you guys came <laughs> up in NBO One South. Yeah. Um, but so, what helped you decide to go with Ringwood for that season? Uh, I um, that's actually so funny. It was really funny. Like one of the things that we talked about and one of our like mantras of the year was like no one's talking about us. So mm. just keep on rolling. And we'd only lost three or four games the whole year. So we were top four the whole year. That's so funny that no one had heard of us. But that was one of those things that kept us going, you know. As far as it comes to like playing for Ringwood, Tim Motten, the head coach, I had a relationship with him. He was one of my coaches in like juniors and so when I was coming back to Victoria I think after the hub season he reached out and he just he's like a lovely very casual guy good coach and the style of basketball was something that I was extremely interested in because it works really well for me and so I came and played there last last year when we had COVID and then I just decided to stay again and it was probably one of the better decisions that I've ever made. It was awesome. The style of basketball that we played was one of the best styles I've ever played, one of the best teams I've ever been part of because we had, like, confidence in each other, we trusted each other, we had fun with each other, we were honest with each other and everyone was working towards the same goal. Like, sometimes you have in teams, like, people are off trying to get their own numbers or some people are trying to, you know, explore their own thing and, Sometimes doesn't benefit the team as well. But everyone, 1 through 12, was consistently just wanting to win. However, you know, some nights, like Marta, one of our point guard from Spain, who's an amazing point guard, got 17 assists. Yeah, yeah. Never heard of it. Yeah, no, Ringwood Hawks were so – they were such a good team. It was such a special team. We all got tattoos after we won. So Hawks, 22. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm. I definitely saw that when you played. You guys definitely trusted each other. You were all you all bought into the game plan and to the team principles. I think I took footage of when I was there of just this half court offense you had when you played against West Adelaide. It was just textbook nerdy, perfect basketball where the ball went one side, inside, outside, change sides, hit the shooter, made the three, and I was just like drooling like it was the best yeah and I was like yes this is why I really like this team because you had so many talented people on that team but you shared the load so well Mm -hmm. like you weren't just relying on one person and you like you said you could tell one person another person wasn't just like I have to get my 15 shots Mm -hmm. It, it was also organic yeah definitely a very very special team oh my god so many times we would like drive in kick to the corner and they would kick it around to the other side and then just kick it back to the top. And I'm pretty sure that – and we would just make the threes. So it's also really good that we made threes. But sharing the ball is awesome. <laughs> Such a cool style of basketball. 
So tell me about Marina Whittle and the fans. How do you feel about your fans? And what is it that you'd love to hear in terms of feedback from your fans? About and I know that's a t- yeah, and I know that's a tough question. <laughs> tell me everything, people. Just tell me about myself. <laughs> love it. Uh, no, I love I. The coolest thing about playing basketball is the support that you get from the community, like the support you get from your fans, and I love it. I'm a, I'm for the people, absolutely, one hundred percent. And I think if people can come to our games and feel like they, it's going to sound so generic as well, unfortunately. But I just love creating connections and I'm a big people person and I love when fans feel appreciated by the players because they don't need to come and watch us. They enjoy it. But, like, without people watching us and cheering us on, I mean, then it's just an ego thing, you know, and it's good to feel like you're part of a community. So I'm a big person for the people and I love to help people have a good time. And quite often you'll see me look into the fans or look into the crowd and be like, let's go, let's go lightning. And like trying to get the fans up and high-fiving people on the sides. And it makes it fun at the end of the day. Like basketball is very serious, but like you can enjoy it on the sidelines, you know? It's, it's interesting what you were saying across there because one of the things that we've noticed with the fan base that we have with the podcast Mm. is that the community itself not only engages with the podcast and with us, but they're also engaging with the game and they're communicating to people about the game. And what seems to happen is you get a lot of very like-minded people coming together, which means you've got a better opportunity to be able to amplify your message out to others. Mm. How do you think clubs can try and better connect with some of the fans to be able to amplify the story of the club to a wider community? Yeah, great question. I think it's really important for, like I just said, I like to spend a lot of time after games with people that have come to watch us and fans and family and stuff. I think what clubs can do is, you know, dedicate time for people to come watch the games, and this is just specifically on game day, I think clubs can do a better job of creating time for players to meet the fans and access, like accessibly as well. So where people don't have to wait around too long, perhaps disabled or ease of walking, I think clubs can do a really good job of making it accessible for fans to get to know the players as well, you know, and that's make it easy, make it, Uh, timely and make it like real I think one of the hard things is you can tell when people are being disgenuine I think you can tell when people are doing that and when it's just more of a like a photo op so I think that the more that clubs can you know put unfortunately it's the players but even like our staff and our coaches in positions to you know get to know our fans on game day or even just get to know the community then I think there'll be a little bit more of a buy-in from the community some really awesome thing that Adelaide's just done, Adelaide Lightning with 36ers, the Crows, Port, Strikers, the professional teams here, we all just got involved with National Wheelchair Sports Day and we played mm. local wheelchair football. And so we took on the soccer team here and then the Crows girls took on the Port girls. 
And it was just really cool. It was like a coming together of all of the professional sports with members of the community that might not get that access with us consistently, you know. So stuff like that that can like genuine relationship building rather than just like photo ops and you got to send the right people and all those things that are important. Touch on a couple of things there that I want to ask about. Yeah. Because currently what happens is we get to the end of a game, mm-hmm. the players warm down, and then fans get to meet you. Yeah. Let me ask this. Do you think it would be better to also maybe open up a practice session to your community so that, yeah, I mean, you still got to warm down, but it's not that kind of intensity that you're coming down from after a full game where then you might have uh, – the fans might have a better opportunity to be able to meet with you guys where it's not, you know, you've just put in a full game, you know, you're tired, you all of that. Mm. This gives you a better opportunity to have a better engagement with them. Do you think that there's some some merit to trying something like that? Oh, my – absolutely. I think there's a lot of merit there because post-game could be very overwhelming – um, for certain players and, you know, depending on performances, depending on how the game actually went, it could determine how some players or some fans react during those sort of situations. And the post-game is really important. I think it's really good. I wouldn't want to change that. Uh, however, to make it a bit, I guess, easier, more significant, a bit more relaxed of an environment, you know, opening up practices, opening up practice matches, you know, having – I wouldn't say consistently open them up because, you know, there is times, but I think dedicating days that aren't game days to members and fans to be able to come down and meet the players would be, yeah, there's a lot of merit there. It would be very important. And I think um, I reckon opening up a practice here and there would be a really great idea because uh, for the real hardcore nerdy fans like myself, I would love to see what the team dynamic like is at practice, what the coach is implementing, mm. why the coach does, you know, a, a session plan the way that they do it. And um, it's kind of like a little bit like a behind the scenes mm. kind of experience, which I really like too. You know, like I like watching the documentaries of like a particular musician that I might not like their music, but I just want to see the work that goes into it behind the scenes to get them on stage so it's a similar thing the work that goes into getting an athlete on game day like I find that really interesting I think a lot of fans would find that pretty interesting too and um, I think the Melbourne Boomers have just launched something where it's like for junior athletes to come and experience a few days what it's like being a professional athlete for three days and going to trainings and going to weight sessions and stuff that's cool that's really cool I was gonna say off the back of you um Jacinta, that it could also be a really good learning opportunity for upcoming coaches as well um, in any level that are just interested in knowing what it takes, what it looks like, sort of the game time decision-making, like during scrimmages and stuff. I think another thing that isn't, um, I don't know if we talk about it enough, is like the communication level that you need at that elite level, both coaches and players. You need to be able to communicate directly. You can't just get mad and yell at players. And I think that could also be very beneficial as well to upcoming coaches and players to know what's like the standard, what's the professional standard, you know, could do wonders to change the environment around basketball in the junior community. Yeah, I think so too. Like having a stronger first-hand understanding that you have to put your emotions to the side mm. when it 
comes to that, like this is your work. It's like business work when you're given an instruction as like your boss at work giving you an instruction to do your job properly. It's not an attack on you saying that you're not very good at something and, you know, a read on you as a person. Hmm. I think the time I've coached juniors in the last few years, it's very much gone to that softer edge of, um, oh, I'm getting benched. It means she must hate me. I don't hate you. It's just that this is the game plan against this particular team and there are other people who are doing a better job at doing that game plan so they're just going to play more. Mm. That's all it is. So you've got to take the emotion out of it. Yeah, like this isn't personal at all. And I think with juniors as well, like if we're just going to talk about like basketball for a second as well, I think with juniors one of the harder things is that like, yeah, you could be getting like not the best result by or not the best performance, but then it's like as professionals, we need to figure that out and we need to get that feedback to know what we can work on. So even for kids who aspire to play, it's like seeing us perhaps not performing and then putting in the work or, you know, asking for that feedback and getting that feedback might not be the nicest, but still putting in that work consistently. I think that could be really good to also, I mean, positively impact some juniors as well because it's not always the best having to ride the bench or having to not play as much as you want or not being able to shoot as much as you want but like I say to my kids it's it's all about confidence and breeding confidence within yourself and finding out why this is the situation and just working on it like everything is fixable skills are you can you can teach skills can't really teach hard work Mm. Mm. yeah effort is you can't teach effort effort is one thing that's like uncoachable Mm. Uh, is there any people that I ever played with or coached me growing up listening to this particular episode, I am well aware of how hypocritical (laughs) I was just sounding about taking the emotion out of it. I'm old enough to reflect on it now and (laughs) I will take responsibility. So (laughs) disclaimer, I am aware. I have gone through, I've processed it, I understand. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I walked the path, I've done the journey, I get it now. <laughs> it wasn't you, coaches. It was me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I actually, one of the things that I liked was the fact that get, getting those coaches in and getting them to understand that being a yelling coach is not necessarily the best approach. Because I've seen it where you know you've got yelling coaches, and yeah, there are some people that'll work for, but even then, it's only for a short period of time. After which, you know, you can only yell at people for so long before they kind of go, you know what, I've had enough. Mm. I, I don't want to do this. Mm. Or it just turns into white noise as well. Like, you can only yell at a certain volume and say the same thing over and over again, perhaps. And then it's just like, I'm just not going to hear the message anymore because you're just yelling and it's just, I have to dull it out. I'm going to just run up and down the court fast enough, the wind goes past my ears. Okay, so I want to ask you about your ambassadorship with the Queer Sporting Alliance. Yep. Can you give us a rundown on that, what it's about, what it entails? Because I'm sure there are people who are going to be listening who aren't really across it and aren't aware of what it's all about. Yeah, so the Queer Sporting Alliance is creating easy and safe environment for anyone who wants to come play basketball to have the opportunity to come and play fun still competitive basketball, learn some skills, make some friends, regardless of however they choose to identify. So one of the hard things with basketball is it is a gendered sport. So there is men and women's basketball and there isn't really much room currently for both men, women and non-binary people that don't identify. And 
yeah, QSA is trying to, I guess, create that space which is safe, fun, enjoyable, and still quite competitive. I've been to a few training sessions and it gets pretty heated. <laughs> yeah, it's it's full on. So if anyone's interested in playing basketball or just like making some friends or having a good time and you're interested in, you know, enjoying some space or you want something to do, look up Queer Sporting Alliance and at least see if it's for you. Have a go. Look at their Instagram. Their mascot is a quokka. So that kind of tells you all you need to know about the type of people that are going. Yeah, I love that it's a quokka. Mm. They really capitalise on the opportunity when they were starting something new Mm. and they could pick anything they picked Mm. a quokka. Yes, you guys. 10 out of 10 for that decision. Yeah, it's just a, what I really enjoy about working with them is uh, it's just a really fun, welcoming time when I go. So like Stella and Bindi have done a really great job of creating like a really positive space. And like there are people who, so we were just here for come out and play day last weekend and there was people who've never played basketball before. There was a rugby player that came but still had to go and enjoy themselves. And it was, yeah, it was just really cool. Like, it was very welcoming, very safe, very fun. And then at the end of the day, we get to sit down and play basketball and run around and play basketball and get to know each other. And I don't know how often those sort of spaces are created. So they're currently in Melbourne, New South Wales, SA. I, I believe they're in Tasmania, but they want to take over the world. So, yeah, get involved where you can. I think in New Zealand too, is that right? And yeah. Darwin? Yeah, yeah, I believe they're in New Zealand. And Darwin, did you say? I think so, yeah. Yeah. they. It's actually so cool. They've only got two teams at the moment in South Australia uh, and they've got quite a lot in Melbourne and quite a lot in Sydney as well. So, And we've got World Pride Day coming up next year and I'm going to be in um, Sydney for that. So they've got a big event happening, just $10 entry or um, free if you can't afford it. So it's going to be really cool. And uh, is it open to people who are allies of the LGBTQI plus community as well? Absolutely. It covers the whole alphabet, LGBTQIA plus. So that's allyship, people who identify, people who don't identify. One thing that we that we really don't appreciate, though, is like negativity. Just in general, you have to be a good person to come and enjoy yourself. So it's actually so funny. So last week we actually bumped into some people at a – a nice restaurant here in SA and I was with some friends of mine who used to play basketball and got into chatting and they're allies. They have now signed up for Wednesday night basketball with QSA and like they've enjoyed it. Like I think they've played two games now and I think they've enjoyed every second of it. So it's still pretty competitive for people who have history of playing. It sounds awesome because I definitely I harp on a lot on this podcast about how basketball can be the vehicle for so much more in life and a lot of important things. And I think um, QSA's done a really really great job of using basketball to create an alternative safe space for people who do and don't identify. So yeah, I'm I'm all about it. And I do know the vice president Bethany West. I'll give her a shout out. Um, from back in the day when uh, we played in Canberra together. So it's really like it's so great to see her involved in something like that and she's very passionate about. Mm. And um, I hope it continues to expand because I feel like there's a lot of potential as well to bring something like that to more regional areas where 
uh, resources and local kind of communities or support groups covering LGBTQI plus communities are a bit more limited. Mm. Um, so I feel like something like QSA would be really helpful in some more regional places as well. Yeah, I think it's just bringing together like-minded people, like-minded positive people as well that, you know, there's just that space for people just to be who they are and, you know, depending on where your background, your environment that you're in every day, you might not have that opportunity to really just relax and feel supported by sometimes complete strangers. And what I really love about them is that they're trying to change, I guess, the narrative and they're trying to change the narrative of competitive sports and they're trying to just create safe spaces everywhere they go, which is just, oh, so I just feel so whole after hanging out with them. I wish that there was more going on in Adelaide because it's just so good to go away from like the world of professional, elite, extreme, hardcore sports and like all of the stress and pressure that comes from that and then just go and play basketball and still have fun. And, yeah, and create spaces where like in regional towns or regional communities where there isn't that like mental health support or sometimes there aren't those resources available, but it is good to have a support system like something that QSA could offer. Really am looking forward to see what they do. And I guess as well, like um, taking a segue from that as well, Isaac Humphreys recently sharing his story of, um, you know, he's coming out as gay Uh, made the announcement to his current team, Melbourne United, and it seems like quite a pivotal moment, especially for MBL um, and for male athletes. What was your response to that event? I think that Isaac Humphreys has just opened the floodgates. I think he was so brave and he had so much courage to to be able to be the first male player to come out it's unfortunate that like we still live in a time where people do need to come out and announce their sexuality. But for Isaac to do what he did and to publicly say it and allow it to be shared on an international platform and on social media, I, oh my God, I'm so incredibly, I guess, grateful for him because he's now created a space for in the male world, like in a male dominant sport, for men to feel comfortable or people that identify as male, to or just anybody, to feel comfortable to be who they are. And for him to share such an intimate story about his life where he was extremely vulnerable and going through it, wow. I, I personally was so, yeah, just proud. I don't know him personally. I don't. I have no nothing to do with him, but I was so grateful and proud and it warmed my heart that he, I just took that step. I hope that he was comfortable in the moment, but... Yeah, I think it's amazing that, that he's done that. He has genuinely opened, he's changed it. He's changed the platform and changed the world now, in my opinion. Yeah, I think, and it's a really good point you raise where it is a shame we still live in a situation where people feel like they have to come out and announce their sexuality. We hope to get to a point where that's not a thing anymore. But at the same time, the way that he announced it and the fact that he did and so publicly was still super important because, mm. like you said, it will open the floodgates for others and to uh, encourage and promote a more inclusive space in men's sports. So while there were lots of people saying, this isn't news, why should he have to announce it? He still kind of, you know, has the position to announce it so we can get to the point where people don't have to announce it anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's, 
it's unfortunate, but it's still an important step to take. And the fa- I just can't get over how brave he was. And just it's absolutely worthwhile talking about it. This is changing. Like if we have news reports talking about like people winning Tats Lotto or just people with cartons of milk or just stuff that has nothing to do with our day-to-day lives, this has potentially changed sports and like the conversations around sports and we talk about how, you know, sometimes male athletes don't feel like they are able to talk about their sexuality and we talk about, you know, that locker room chat and all that negativity and toxic masculinity and all that stuff. I'd love that now we can start shifting that perhaps, like perhaps to start shifting towards a more inclusive environment, perhaps this changes the landscape a little bit more. But we're not going to know. But this is a step in the right direction. This is so positive. And I just, yeah, it was just amazing. Like We live in a day and age where an NBL player is just, announced a sexuality that isn't straight. Like, I just can't believe that that's where we're living now. It's cool. It's really cool. Yeah. I want to I ask you, what do you do off court? What do you do in your free time or what little free time you have? Yes. Yeah, do you call it free time? <laughs> free time. Um, well, actually, I'm currently studying, so my free time has been cut in half. Uh, my free time is taken up of recovering personally, like going, doing stuff I did today. So like boots, ice baths, hot tubs and stuff. I like to be in nature. So I think it's really important to take care of my mental health. And I guess because of all the pressure of basketball and the pressure of like having to perform, mental health is super important to take care of. So my mental health is like to take care of it. I need to get into nature. I need to get out. I need to go socialize, talk to family, all that good stuff. Sometimes even just going and putting my feet in the water. And luckily I live like, I want to say a kilometre from the beach. That's why I love Adelaide. Love you, Adelaide. But I'm also studying, I'm getting my Juris Doctor. I'm in my first year of law school. So um, my time has been cut in half. So at the moment I'm going from practice, coming home, eating, doing my recovery quickly or giving enough time to recovery and then doing two to three hours of schoolwork and then doing some me time, and then eating dinner and going to bed. Wow. Wow. Did you say you're studying law? Was that a lot? Did I just did I just say that all very fast? I feel like I need to be better at that. But yes, I am studying law. Wow. That's we have that's the other cool thing, you know, uh, Megan Hussler did an article about uh, it wasn't so much about the the pay, the salary, but making a point of saying these are the types of work that our WNBL players have to do at the same time as playing. And it just was a great opportunity to showcase how many intelligent athletes we have in the league, like yourself, doing law. Michaela Roof is a civil engineer. Uh, Lana Hollingsworth is a pre-med student. Like absolute ballers in every context of life. Like that is so cool that you're studying law at the same time as I'm just going to hop on a plane to Com Games and come back and do my contract laws, my contract law lecture. Like, that's, that is baller, Maria. Oh, I actually was studying whilst I was over there and it was so funny because I would be in my room and I'd have my laptop and my um, notepad and be taking notes and stuff because I love, I'm a rote learner. And <laughs> I'd be at the window and I can hear everyone, at, like all the swimmers and stuff would be in the like cul-de-sac. They had this really cool setup. 
and they'd be all there like screaming and cheering. I'd be studying and then give myself some time and I'd get a message from the girls being like, okay, let's go eat. And I'm like, yep, time. I'm done studying for today. And then we would go eat and then we'd go to training and then I'd come back and, yeah, it's tough, but I put this on myself. So we do have some amazing athletes though. Like we have one of my teammates is a um, disability support worker. I actually, that's why I got into law actually. I was a disability support worker in Melbourne and the aim of going into law is to go into family law to like help support the NDIS and um, help support like the aged care sector. But the amount of people that are just, it's not even that some of us need to, it's just that we want to like use our time and work towards perhaps like our post career is why I'm doing it. And I've got years left of this. Yeah, and you've got years left of playing too, so. Absolutely. You can jump out of your uh, Nike, like your playing shoes and straight into some L Woods inspired heels <laughs> after <laughs> Harvard Law. And beyond. I'll get my fluffy pen out. Oh, gosh. All right. So, look, we always want to hit you up with a totally unscripted question. And our producer, Mary, suggested this one. And I thought this is a really cool one because we haven't done this one at all before. So, if you were going to front any band in the world, which band would it be? Um. <laughs> I was a punk rock baby. I love, love Paramore <laughs> growing up. I just, if there was an option to front that band with the lead singer, I would die. I'd absolutely, please, that's my team. That's my choice, Paramore. I even had like the red <laughs> hair and I was such a little punk rocker. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Do you guys know them? You went. You did the full Hayley Williams red hair as well. I did. It was so. That's so good. Oh, that is so good. That's committed. It was so red. Kids at school were like, uh, "She's dyed her hair." It's like obviously this is a natural color. Mm. <laughs> okay, Marina. It's been a blast. We've had a great time. Really enjoyed this one. Thanks so much for your time and joining us. And can't wait to see how the rest of the season goes for you. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me hold you hostage there. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.